Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go over to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. It'll be a couple minutes before we get there, but uh, you can go ahead and begin to turn there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, this is page 995, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Let me do a little bit of review. Last week, our thesis was, and we're going to continue on that thesis, was that disciples cannot be made in isolation. That's what we talked about last week. We said that it's important for us to realize that if disciples are going to be made, then uh, that, is, uh, that requires uh, contact, that requires people being together, it requires gathering. So, we said last week, therefore, there must be a corporate effort to make disciples. And what I mean by that is that there must be effort upon the church as an institution to allow for that to happen, but then there's also a, a collective agreement amongst the church that this is, this is important, this is what we need to be doing. And so to that end, the church must schedule gathering times and points of getting together. And we talked last week a little bit about that, of the reasons why we do what we do and why we schedule what we schedule. We have our Sunday morning service. We have adult discipleship hour, Sunday school. We have uh, some uh, Bible studies that go on and uh, things like that. And so we have to schedule that. And that's one of the reasons what we're doing, uh, why we do what we do. We also talked about that we must desire gathering together because it's one thing to have things on the schedule, but if no one wants to do it, it's not going to happen. And so we talked last week about that if disciples, if they cannot be made in isolation, if there has to be people gathering together, people getting together, people influencing each other in order for disciples to be made, we talked about there needs to be a desire to get together. And then we finished by saying that we must prioritize our gathering together. And that means means making some tough decisions sometimes. That means looking at our schedules and carving out blocks of time because this is important. And, um, and we typically do whatever is most important to us. We find the time to accomplish what is most important to us. And so it's really an issue of priority. And, and so we talked through that last week. And remember, I used this funnel illustration uh, This in, in how that there's really kind of two uh, parts to this. The church responsibility, what I'm reviewing right now, and then there's a personal responsibility, which we're going to talk about today. Now, what I mean by that is I mean that the church as a whole, we need to be looking at these events. We need to be putting these schedules together and prioritizing these corporate gathering, things like that. But that's simply not enough. Um, there's a reason why I chose the funnel illustration. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But there's the second part of this is that each individual person, each individual believer, Christian, someone who follows Jesus Christ, has a responsibility, has the obligation, has the privilege to gather with other believers. And not just in a corporate setting, but individually or in small groups. 
And so that's kind of where we're thinking about today. So I want you to notice that there's a corporate nature towards the top. But as, we, as you move down the funnel, we see that there, it gets smaller. We see that uh, as, you, as the people go into the corporate gathering, go into the top, as they get through, the relationships get closer. And as people come out the, the, the bottom part there, as if we're going to use this illustration, we, you know, the whole being can't be together at the bottom. There has to be one-on-one relationships. And that is the goal. The, my prayer is that every person, every believer in this church has a somebody, a relationship where they can have good fellowship with and good Christian fellowship with, where they can be transparent with each other, they can encourage one another, they can invest in each other's spiritual lives. Now, I know that's not, that's not true of every person here, but that's the goal. That's the, this, the intention is for people to minister to one another. So the group gets smaller, the units get closer, and there's great relationships there. That's the, the intention of that illustration. But it can't be just the corporate on the top. There has to be the personal uh, effort to make disciples, and that's what we're seeing at the bottom of that final illustration. So that's what I want to address today. How do we do that? Okay, how do we have this personal effort or this personal gathering together? And, and there, there, I'll give some practical illustrations, but I'm going to talk more about what should the philosophy be driving and how you do that and what should inform us. Because, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities. Some people work close to each other. You guys could get together for lunch. People live close together. You could spend time together. So if it's a priority, we will find ways to connect with one another and fulfill this, what we're going to be talking about today. But let's get into this. Um, of how we do this. Number one, and I have three points this morning, uh, as every good preacher always does, has three points. So here's the first one. We should be instructed by Paul's experience. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? That if we're going to figure this out of this personal responsibility, how do we do it? Well, as I read Paul's writings, as I, as I read the New Testament, I see that Paul had an emphasis, that he had a priority about interacting with other believers, and it was instructive to me as I began to study it. I'm going to share a couple of passages. They're going to be up on the screen. Then we'll be in that Second Timothy text uh, that I had you open your Bibles to. First of all, you can look on the screen, though. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 says this, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, and I have no idea if that's really how you pronounce those names, but you just sound bold when you, when you pronounce names in the Bible, and people think you're right. There's a little pro tip for you there. Just don't even look back. Because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well of yours. Give recognition to such people. So these people, they, Paul had something to say about them. What about Philemon? Philemon uh, verses 7 and 20, it says this, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Then in verse 20, he says, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And so there's a situation that Paul was dealing with. He was, he was trying to advocate for a friend, and he was telling this person he was writing to Philemon to receive him back. And so he says, 
He wanted them to be reconciled. And so he says, uh, I want some benefit from you. In the Lord, refresh my heart. Now there's that passage that I had you turn your Bibles to in 2 Timothy in verse, uh, chapter 1. Look at verse 15. He says this. He says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are uh, Phagellus and Hermogenes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me diligently or earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered to Ephesus. So of those three texts that I just read, we have the First Corinthians text, we have the Philemon text, we have the Second Timothy text here. What is the common denominator there? What do they all have in common? Well, in each one of those texts, we have illustration of believers refreshing the souls of other believers. And we particularly have Paul desiring that and looking for that and also testifying of how people did that for him and how he wanted to do it for other people. We all need this refreshment in our souls. Every one of us. If we're a believer in Christ, we all need other people to refresh our souls. It's because it's by God's design. He is not designed for us to live in isolation. As much as sometimes that sounds so appealing at times, and believe me, I get it. It sounds so appealing to just shut the entire world out and never have to see another person. Has anyone ever thought that, or am I the only person? I would love to never see another person, okay? Okay, there's about three of you who are honest. Okay, thank you. Um, so the point is, is that there are times where just the world gets overwhelming and it's like, man, I just don't want to deal with people or whatever like this. But we're designed, we're, we can't live that way because, and that's the reason why a lot of you didn't raise your hands because you recognize that you need relationships. You need people investing in you and you need to invest in other people. And so this personal responsibility that we're talking about here is that there needs to be a concerted effort on our part to refresh the souls of other believers. Just like in these local churches here, in each one of these situations, Paul was writing, except for the Timothy passage here, he's writing to a pastor, but he's telling of his experience in small churches of how individuals either ministered to him or he was instructing other people to minister to them. Let's look a little bit more closely at this Onesiphorus and his ministry to Paul. It says there in verse 16, he says, He often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. I make a couple observations, about three observations from his ministry, and I think it could be helpful to us. Onesiphorus' ministry to Paul, his refreshing ministry to Paul, took consistency. Did you see where he says, he often refreshed me? If we're going to be a type of church where we are a, a church comprised of believers who are constantly refreshing each other's souls, it's going to take consistency. It's going to take work. It's going to take effort. It's going to take, it's going to be time consuming. There's going to be times where we have to say, okay, I need to go back and have this conversation again, or I need to make sure I'm making time for this other person in my life here. 
I need to make sure that I'm ministering to this person's spiritual needs here. And it doesn't always come at a convenient time. It doesn't always come at the most opportune time. But we need to be willing to do this over and over again. He says he often refreshed me. It was something that he, he was consistent in his ministry to Paul. Now, if you were to put a survey out there of, uh, how, of biblical characters and their, their, um, their popularity or how recognizable they are, Paul and Onesiphorus are worlds apart. Everybody knows Paul, but very few people even think of Onesiphorus, but yet what is Paul talking to him? He says he had this refreshing ministry to my soul. Paul could not have continued on. Paul could not have been the person he was, I believe, unless Onesiphorus was ministering to him, that God was using Onesiphorus to minister to Paul in such a profound way that had had an incredible impact on Paul's ministry. Paul says he often did this. It takes consistency. Not only not consistency, but it takes courage. Did you notice? He says that he was not afraid or not ashamed of my, my chains. Paul was in prison here, and he didn't, Onesiphorus didn't care. He didn't, he didn't care about his own personal reputation. He didn't, he didn't say, you know what? Other people are thinking that Paul really did something wrong here. We read in Philippians how Paul was saying that people, other preachers, other Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, were preaching against Paul or using Paul as a bad example. And, and Paul was, was just enduring that while he was in prison. You know, Christians do this at times. Christians treat other Christians terribly. And Paul dealt with that firsthand. But Onesiphorus, he didn't care about that. He didn't care what people might think of him. He had the courage to say, I don't care if he's in prison. I'm going to minister to him. I'm going to spend time with him. We look at Paul again and, you know, we think he's popular. And if we had a time machine that we could go back in time, a lot of us would want to meet Paul some of us are really looking forward to meeting Paul in heaven one day. Um, I know I am. I've got a lot of questions for him. I think it would be just a great conversation to sit down. Uh, I was going to say with a cup of coffee, but I don't drink coffee. Uh, and it's, and it's, a, it's a vice that won't be allowed in heaven anyway. So, uh, so with a Coke, uh, with, um, with, with the Apostle Paul sitting up there and, um, and having a conversation with him, I'd love to talk to him about these things and just say, you know, what about this? But we look at him as popular now, but then, and we want to know him, but then there was a lot of people that didn't trust him. And for good reason. I mean, he was, a, he was a persecutor of the church, and it took Barnabas to stand up for him. You remember that? There's another example. But apparently while he was in prison, Onesiphorus didn't care about his personal reputation. You know, there are people that you will be called to minister to that have a bad reputation or that are difficult. And sometimes... We think, well, I don't know if I want to be around that person a lot. I don't want people thinking that this type of person is my best friend. Now, some of you don't think that because you're more mature than that. But there's others of us who deal with, with sinful thoughts all the time. 
And we have a situation here where Paul was saying what one of the things that he his refreshing ministry to him was he wasn't ashamed. He didn't care about what people thought. He saw Paul as someone who needed to be ministered to. And so he did. And he didn't care what other people thought. So his ministry took courage, but it also took concerted effort. Did you notice there in verse 17, it says, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. It wasn't that he knew exactly where Paul was. He arrives into the city. They didn't have cell phones. He couldn't text Paul and say, you know, where are you at? Um, He simply had to go around looking to figure out where Paul was. Maybe he didn't even know he was in prison at the time, but then he discovered he was in prison, then which prison? And so he had to go all through the city, and he's searching. According to how Paul says this, he says, he searched for me earnestly and found me. It would have been easy for Onesiphorus to show up in Rome, look around for a couple minutes, and be like, guess he moved on and then move on with his life. But no, he knew that he was called by God to minister to Paul, and so he says, I am going to search for this guy, and I'm going to work hard until I find him, and I'm going to minister to him. And we don't know exactly all the ways Onesiphorus did this. Paul is simply just telling how his heart was encouraged while he was in prison. But I think it's instructive to us as we consider our personal responsibility of discipleship of our own hearts, but then the discipleship of other people as we're trying to help them progress in their discipleship. Remember, that was a definition we gave of a disciple as a person in progress. And so it's going to take concerted effort. It's going to take inconvenience at times. It's going to take uh, working and rescheduling and, and making it a priority. I mentioned a minute ago that some people work close together. Maybe a way that you could refresh each other's hearts and encourage one another's uh, discipleship is to spend a lunch hour together or something like that. Well, I don't know what your experience is, but our experience is that trying to get anything on a schedule takes a lot of effort. Everybody is incredibly busy, incredibly busy, and I get that. And we can argue about if it's too busy or whether or not there's things we should be doing or not. That's beside the point. The point is we're just going to take it at face value that everyone's really busy, but it's going to take concerted effort to fulfill the obligations, the responsibilities that God has given to us to personally minister to one another. This is the personal responsibility that we share as a congregation So I think we can be instructed by Paul's experiences here, and particularly of note of Onesiphorus' example here of how he ministered to Paul. Now secondly, as we work through this idea, I think not only should we be instructed by Paul's experience, but I think we should be guided by the one another commands in the Scriptures in the New Testament. By my count, missed some, but by my count, there are at least 47 examples in the New Testament where there's a command for us to do something to one another. That's what I mean by the one another commands, okay? So about 47 times or more, there are examples or, or, or commands given to us about treating each other. So let me go back to that fun illustration for a second there. 
This is, you see that arrow that as we're focusing, going from the corporate gathering, and then as we're ministering to a very personal way, that arrow, that trajectory, that path is formed and framed by these one another commands. Okay, so as we look through the scriptures, as we see what we're supposed to do to one another, this is the path. This is how we do this. And so we go from the corporate gathering here, which we should be in some of these one another commands. We do right here together. We're uh, to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think I'm going to mention that in a few minutes. And that's a corporate thing. You know, please, I don't think you would want me walking up to you in song form all the time and try to encourage you. And, you know, it's the the, Jeremy musical, okay? And and I greet you with song. Believe me, you don't want that. That would not be encouraging to your soul, okay, if I did that. Uh, It might make for some good comic relief in the moment, okay, but your soul would not be encouraged, I guarantee you that. So we do it in a corporate setting, right? Of those one another commands that we do in smaller groups or even one in one. And so let's look at a few of these examples of um, these one another commands. Like I said, there's 47 of them. I've got 14. I'm going to just clip through real, real quickly here. If you're taking notes, don't feel like you need to write them all down. I'd be happy to send you my notes on this, and I'd be happy to send you the list of 47 that I have. But I just want to make the point as we've talked through this. So in Mark 9, verse 50, it says, be at peace with one another. That's a way for us to refresh each other's soul is to to encourage and pursue peace with one another. We talked about forgiveness in adult discipleship hour. This would play a role here of what was being said in Mark 9. John 13, verses 34 and 35, love one another. This one comes up a lot. In 1 John, it comes up a lot in 1 John. In the Gospel of John, it comes up. Other places, it comes up as well. We are to love one another. This is your personal responsibility. This is my personal responsibility as a believer in Christ. And remember, we said Ephesians chapter 4, that was a call to worship text. We are to build one another up. Well, how do we do this? This is it right here, okay? This is part of of that. We love one another. Romans chapter 15 tells us to welcome one another, okay? Be hospitable, be encouraging to each other. Um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, through love serve one another. We need to be willing to serve each other and, and help each other out and, 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 uh, and sacrifice our time and our abilities to help one another out. Galatians 5, again, verse 15 says, If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so this is the more of a negative side of it. But it says, listen, if you're constantly fighting with other believers, you're constantly fighting with other people, it's going to be detrimental to both of you. So avoid that. Be forgiving. Be loving towards each other. Be willing to serve each other here. Um, Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says bear one another's burdens let me tell you our church is filled with people that have burdens there are I mean every one of us has things that we're carrying in this world it's a difficult world to live in at times we need to be willing to bear one another's burdens help each other out in that context specifically, it's about someone who has made a mistake and needs to be restored. 
And we need to bear that burden with them and help them in their growth process. And we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. But this is our personal responsibility as we're gathering together. We need to get together. Remember, we can't do any of these unless we're together. We can't do any of these unless we spend time together. That's the point. We're, according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, we are to bear, uh, to, again, bearing with one another in love. Much of what was just said. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. So, kindness, gentleness or tenderheartedness, a spirit of forgiveness, that should characterize your relationships with other believers. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I mentioned that before in the corporate sense. This is a corporate one another. And so this is the reason why we sing. And this is the reason why corporate singing isn't, isn't an option. And for us to sing out is not really an option. What God says for us to do is to do this. And the reason why is because it, it encourages one another and it builds one another up. It helps each other in our discipleship journey. Colossians 3.16, we're to teach and admonish one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're to encourage one another and build one another up. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, we're to exhort one another daily, it says. Daily. This is what we do. Every day we should be seeking ways to encourage each other every day. And then uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds. Do you think about how can I encourage someone to do what's right? How can I encourage someone to progress in their discipleship? How can I do that? You have to be together in order to do that. Serve one another. It says in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. We have to serve one another. And so we are people who, and that's, that's the last example, but there are so many more one another commands in Scripture that cannot be done unless, unless we spend time together. So here's the point. We all have, every one of us has pastoral responsibility. And think about that. Every one of us has pastoral responsibility. And that's missed a lot of times in church. A lot of times in church, it's thought, okay, we've got Pastor Jeremy, we've got Pastor Mike, we've got Wayne as an elder, we've got people who are put in positions and pastoral uh, positions, and so their job is to shepherd the flock, and you're right. That is our job. But it's not just our job. According to Ephesians 4, we're, we're to keep teaching and training and equipping. Why? So that we all can do the things that, we're, that we just went through. And we can go through so many more examples. But the point is, is that we can't fulfill the one another commands unless we gather together in a corporate sense like this. But personally, how are you going to encourage someone daily if you're not spending time with that person or with people? And so I understand that every one of us, we have what I refer to as relational bandwidth, okay? There's, there's, there's a capacity that, that we have, and it's not always the same for each person. Some people, they, after spending time with people, they need to spend more time to, to recharge and things like that. I get that. But that doesn't excuse us from the commands of the one another commands. It may take us a little bit more time, it may take some concerted effort like Onesiphorus, 
but we can do it because this is what God's called us to do. This is how he's designed for us to grow in our discipleship. This is how God's um, uh, designed for us, for us to gather together so that disciples are matured. Now, our, personal, our pastoral responsibility towards each person isn't the same, of course. The nature of the relationship will determine that. But nonetheless, we have to uh, be willing to do these one another commands. So let me go back to that fun illustration for a quick second here. I'll go back to that. This is these one another commands, okay? So we could put in other things beside it. We could put in uh, prayer groups. We could put in their uh, lunches. We could put it in their family meetings. We could put in a lot of things there towards the bottom of that. But the point is this, is that if we're going to be obedient and if we're going to make disciples here, we have to be a church that's willing to get together. And not just on Sunday mornings. We have to be prioritizing meeting together so that we can encourage one another. Now, again, I, I shared with you last week, I, I've, because this could be a huge topic, I try, I'm trying to narrow it down. Now, to the point that I feel like I'm, I'm excluding a glaring piece here. And I'll just mention it briefly here. And that is the evangelism piece. Okay, making disciples. You have to get together with people who don't believe in Jesus in order to tell them of Christ. And so my thinking is, is that, yes, and we will talk about that in the future, but unless we're prioritizing even our own discipleship and the discipleship of people we see every day, we're not going to be prioritizing the lost. So I'm starting from the lesser going to the greater in terms of need here. And so I, I recognize that I'm not addressing the evangelism piece of gathering and making disciples. And we'll perhaps do that in the future. But right now, I'm looking at us as a church growing in our infrastructure of who we are, that we are investing in each other and fulfilling these one another commands. So look at these one another commands. Do you see them in your life that you're fulfilling? Do you see that you're, you're receiving some of these from other people? I didn't put it on the screen. I, I, I just remembered it now. I wish I would have thought to. But you remember, I've put on the screen before uh, a little statement. It's like a, a blank line. And, and then uh, it says um, your name and another blank line. Some of you may remember this. And basically what that's saying is that someone is pouring into you and then you are pouring into somebody else. That's what we're called to do here. And so look at these one another commands. Look at the, the, the example of Paul. Is your heart being refreshed by other people? Are you actively, with a concerted effort, looking to refresh the hearts of each other? That's what our church needs to be if we're going to be a church that is making disciples um, uh, in, a, in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And, you know, it's this one another community. If we do this, you see, that's what the people who don't know Jesus are longing for. That's that type of community that they're longing for. And so let us have that so that we can offer it to them. This is why a healthy emphasis on gathering is crucial to making disciples. So let me close. How does this all play out? Okay. Well, I think not only should we be instructed by Paul's uh, experience, should we be guided by the one and other commands, but I think we can be helped by what I call the Chester Timmis taxonomy, okay? Now you say, what is 
the Chester Timis Taxonomy. I thought you'd never ask. Thank you. Um, this comes from a book called Everyday Church um, that uh, Tim Chester and Steve Timis wrote. Uh, that's what the cover of the book looks like. Uh, the elders and deacons are actually reading this book together, and we have a discussion on it every time we get together. And in one of the chapters that we've read already, there's this, this um, uh, for lack of a better term, they didn't call it this, but I'm just calling it a taxonomy of how a church should interact with each other. So if you pick up the book, what I'm referring to is on page 67, okay? Um, But here it is. This is what they say, and I thought this was helpful. We teach or instruct where people are ignorant. Okay? Now, I almost changed the word because ignorant has a real negative connotation to it, almost like an insult, and that's not what they mean. It just means the people who don't know. Okay? People who have not yet learned is what they're saying. So if people haven't learned things about in their discipleship, we teach and instruct them. That's what we do. And some of those 47 one another commands fall into this. But secondly, if that's not the problem, if ignorance isn't the problem, then we are to encourage or comfort where people are faint-hearted. Sometimes it's not ignorance. Sometimes it's people are discouraged. Sometimes it's people are feeling weak. And so instead of teaching or instructing, that doesn't seem to make sense because a lot of times when someone is going through a difficult time, if you take the posture of teaching them, it's actually counterproductive. But no, we come and we encourage them and we uh, uh, comfort them where people are faint-hearted. The third part is uh, of the taxonomy is that we rebuke or admonish where people are wayward. So we rebuke or admonish where people are wayward. And so we have different responsibilities. We have different things, ways to put out or fulfill these one another commands. And so I think this is helpful to us, and so I give it to you for your edification. So let me bring this too close. We have the Lord's Supper today. We have a table here, and we're going to be eating the bread and uh, going to be um, uh, having the juice here in just a second. Uh, I'll break the bread. It's symbolic of Jesus' body being broken. The, the, the juice in the cup is symbolic of, of the blood that was spilt. And this table was given, this meal, this simple meal was given. Jesus told us to do this until he comes back. And part of the reason is is because it shows that we belong to Christ. It's a testimony of saying that, hey, I belong to Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer here and you're, you're following Jesus Christ, and I would argue that includes baptism, and so if this is you, then this table is for you, okay? But if you're not a believer, then we just ask you to, to and not a follower of Christ, just, just sit there while, while we do what we do. No one's going to think any worse of you. But the point is, is that we're communicating something when we do this. We're communicating that we're part of Jesus Christ. We're part of what the Bible refers to as the body of Christ. It's symbolic of our unity together, of our responsibility to one another. And so I love, as we're singing, and we'll be singing, and, and uh, uh, people will come up to the table, and everyone will just come on up, and we're all singing. I love seeing that. I love seeing the expression of unity that that is, that we're doing this together, that we're singing together. I, I, sometimes I'll see 
one person put their arm around another person. It's been more than once where I've seen someone where the message of the cross or whatever has been particularly meaningful to them that day and they're weeping and someone, the brother or sister next to them has their arm around them walking to the table. I believe that's what Jesus intended with this table. It's such a beautiful expression of unity, of solidarity that we're doing this together. Of that, what brings us together? That's the thing is, this, what this represents is what brings us together. It's not, that's the only thing that brings us together. I mean, in this room, we have people of different backgrounds. We have people of different personalities. We have different interests. We have all sorts of things. That's one thing I've always loved about the church, and I've been in church my entire life. I know church culture. And one of the things I've always loved about it is that there are people who I never, ever would spend time with normally. And not because I didn't like them or they didn't like me. It's just we had nothing in common except Jesus Christ. And that's what brings us together. And so we are to be reminded that as we come together as one to this table, that we have one another commands to fulfill. We have responsibilities to each other. It's not by mistake that God put this church together. Let me remind you of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not, but it says this. It says, we are to, and I read this earlier, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint when, when it is, which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Our gathering together in a corporate sense should only be the beginning, the top of the funnel of our time that we spend with each other for the purpose of uh, helping people progress in their discipleship, of making disciples. So we gather together on a corporate level and a personal level. And so I think that that's perfectly symbolized at the table when we come together here. We're coming as one body, but yet we have individual responsibilities to each other. So let me encourage us. Let us take our personal pastoral responsibilities seriously. You have that responsibility. It's not just the pastor's job. It's all of our jobs to minister to one another. In fact, I would argue this. I would argue this, that there are many of you, and in many cases, in fact, probably most cases, you have a greater opportunity and a greater way of ministering to other people than I do, than than your pastors do, because you have a personal relationship with that person, or you know them, and they trust you already, and it's it's meaningful to, to that relationship. And so use those relationships and gather together, spend time with each other, and fulfill these one another commands. And so, as we transition to have the Lord's Supper, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Lord uh, to to bless as I uh, begin to break the bread. Um, The hand sanitizer is in that room. Can you get that for me, sweetie? The hand sanitizer? It's just, it's in that room right there on the little filing cabinet. Oh, or my wife has some here. Um, I always do the hand sanitizer thing in a very public act so that people know that as I touch the bread, my hands are clean, okay? So here's my symbolic spraying of the hands, all right? And then I rub them together, and then I cough. No, um, and so, so um, I break the bread, you know, symbolizing Jesus' body being broken, And in a minute, after I pray, uh, musicians are going to come up, 
and they'll begin singing, then you can come up to the table. And we understand, uh, as we, we say every time that we do this, that if walking up is difficult, we understand that. Um, Rick is going to be taking uh, the, the, the plate and some juice back through there, and so it just catches his eye, and he'd be happy to serve you uh, so you don't need to come up. But we do like everyone coming up if you can, because it is very symbolic. So we're going to sing. We're going to come up to the table. But let me encourage you, as you're walking up and you're you're next to each other, look at the person next to you while you're singing and say a word of prayer for them. Ask how maybe you could minister to that person. Okay? It's not a mistake that you're in this church. And that means you have a responsibility. That means we all have a responsibility towards each other. So let me encourage you in that. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray and... uh, then once the musicians begin singing, then feel free to, to come on up. But let's pray first. Father, thank you that we can meet together around this table. Lord, I do pray that we would be reminded of the unity that we have in you and that the responsibility to fulfill all those one another commands that we have. And so, Lord, I pray I pray that we would grow in our gathering, that we would spend more time individually with each other, that we'd invest in each other's lives. I pray that we'd be inspired by Onesiphorus and the rest of the people who refreshed Paul's spirit, that we would heed um, Paul's admonition or his, his, his request to Philemon to refresh his heart, that we would refresh other people's hearts. And so we only do that if we spend time with one another. And so I pray that that's what we do. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.